All right. Wow. I wasn't sure if anyone was going to be here today with spring forward and the coronavirus on the same day, right? Um, But awesome. You got up in time and you made it. Uh, So very cool. Um, Hey, I want to say a word just real quickly before we jump into our message um, about the coronavirus. Um, I'm not going to remind you of all of the health habits that you need to be taking because I'm sure you've gotten emails um, from schools and work and organizations and you guys have been reading about it and all those kind of things. And we all know if you're sick to stay home, right, and to wash your hands and all, all those kind of things. But I do want to say a word just about um, anything we might do, because we do want to take any precautions here uh, seriously. So there's just a few things uh, we'll do moving forward. Um, one, we encourage you to use the elbow bump for greeting, right, uh, or fist bump or whatever you want to do uh, while you're here at church. Um, next week, we're going to take communion together, and uh, we'll do it a little differently when we take communion next week, just to take every precaution and to be extra safe. Um, we're also going to uh, just put offering baskets in the back uh, for the next few weeks. So instead of passing offering baskets, um, we'll just put those in the back, which is a bummer because I feel like that's an important moment, even in our worship service, to just be reminded that when we give, and I know a lot of us maybe give or support the church online, but um, when you even just passing the basket, it's a reminder that, that giving is a part of our act of worship. Um, but again, we just want to be extra safe. So for a little while, we'll put offering baskets in the back. So if you do regularly give, um, if you could just stop by one of those baskets and drop your gift in there, that would be awesome. Um, and of course, if you filled out one of those uh, connect cards, you can drop that in those baskets in the back as well. Um, I think uh, those are the main things. Um, If we can find more hand sanitizer, uh, we'll provide that. We've got a couple of big things out front. Um, But as a church, uh, we'll take those precautions, but we don't plan on canceling services at this point or or doing anything like that. Um, uh, We do want to pray for those in our community to be safe and healthy. And um, of course, as followers of Jesus, I think this is a good moment to pause and uh, to just both be wise and take some wise precautions, but also to be a non-anxious presence in our community. There's just a lot of anxiety and fears right now. I think about a lot of things in our world, and so obviously this adds a layer to that, and so I think we can be a non-anxious presence in a unique way. So um, that's a few things. If you've got any questions uh, about that, feel free um, to talk to me or talk to one of us on staff afterwards, and we'd love to um, answer any questions you've got. Now, uh, today is the second Sunday of Lent, um, and I want to look at a couple of stories uh, about Jesus today that reveal a really surprising and I think challenging decision that he made. Um, I want to show you something in particular that Jesus decided not to do, even though he had the power to do it. And the reason it's surprising and challenging is because it's something that we often try to do, even though we don't really have the power to do it. In other words, there's something we keep trying to do, but we can't, and it's something that Jesus could have done, but he chose not to do. And so the question, obviously, is why do we keep trying to do this one thing? Now, it'll make more sense as we read these stories, but here's the first story. Jesus was about 30 years old, and um, 
He began his uh, public ministry at that time, and uh, during Lent, we've been reading some of the stories uh, throughout the gospel accounts about Jesus' ministry. Last week, we actually looked at um, what he did right before he started his public ministry. He spent 40 days, his own season of Lent, uh, in the wilderness by himself, but then he came back and he began his public ministry, which is basically to say he started teaching people and healing people. That's what he did. That's what he was known for. Before anyone ever thought of him as a Messiah or a Savior or anything like that, he was just a teacher, a rabbi that taught people about God. And sometimes he was teaching in formal settings in the synagogues. That was like uh, the churches uh, back then in their Jewish culture. They had synagogues and they would meet there. And a rabbi would teach them from the Old Testament about who God was and what God was like. Sometimes Jesus did that in a very formal setting. Sometimes he just taught out in the open square. Sometimes it was out in fields. But he taught people about God, and then he healed people. So what's interesting is he would teach people about God's kingdom, and then when he would go perform these miracles and he would heal people, it was a way of showing God's kingdom. Because whenever Jesus talked about God's kingdom, he was talking about what it will look like one day when God rules over this world completely, And so then he would heal people, and healing people was a really small way of saying, this is what it's going to fully look like one day. Because when God is in charge, and when God is totally ruling this world, there won't be sin or sickness anymore. So I want to give you a preview of what that's going to look like when life is fully under God's rule and God's kingdom. And so as Jesus began teaching and healing people, word spread, right, about this rabbi, this miracle worker. And it was pretty awesome, right? Because people start following Jesus and they start talking about Jesus and and they're listening to Jesus and they're beginning to take seriously some of the things that he's saying. And that tends to happen when you get healed, right? If you've had a a disease or something that that hasn't gone away in a long time and Jesus heals you, you're going to take seriously what he says. So things start moving really quickly in this new movement. That he starts. And in fact, the book of Mark tells us that just a few weeks or a few months after he begins teaching and healing people, Mark tells us this news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. So, Galilee is where Jesus was doing all of this. This is in northern Israel. This is the area where Jesus actually grew up. In the middle of this area was this big lake called the Sea of Galilee. And this is where he began to teach. And as he's teaching and as he's healing, more and more people are talking about it. And if you're Jesus and you want to start a movement, then things are getting off to a pretty great start. When everyone's beginning to talk about what you're doing, things are going pretty well. Now, Mark had been telling us a story about Jesus teaching one day in the synagogue in the city of Capernaum. Capernaum was a little town on the western side of the lake. It's where a bunch of fishermen lived who would fish on the lake. And Jesus had been teaching in the synagogue there. So Mark picks that story back up and he continues and he says this next. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. These four guys were four of Jesus' earliest listeners. They heard him and they thought what he said was pretty amazing. And so they began to follow him. And he says, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever And they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, he took her hand, and he helped her up. And the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. So Jesus 
heals Simon's mother-in-law. Now, Simon is actually also called Peter. That's his full name, Simon Peter. And later in the gospel accounts, he's usually just called Peter. This is, becomes the famous disciple Peter. And it's interesting to just pause here and realize, wait a second, that means Peter was married, right? Peter had a wife, which we never really hear about. And later in the accounts, we don't hear much about his family. Peter might have even had kids. We don't even know. But at the very least, we get this little detail that he has a wife and he has some sort of family and he's living probably with his extended family. That's how it worked back then. And so when they go back to Peter's house, they find out that Peter's mother-in-law has some sort of fever. And so Jesus heals her. And they're probably staying right there in the house where the whole extended family is. And then Mark tells us this. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases, and he also drove out many demons. So Jesus had been teaching in the synagogue earlier that day, and people were talking about that. Lots of people were commenting on the way he's teaching is different than anything we've heard before. And then before he left the synagogue, he healed someone, and people were saying how amazing that was. And then he goes to Peter's house, and he heals Peter's mother-in-law, and word gets around about that. And so they're sitting there eating dinner at Peter's house that night, and there's a knock on the door, and the whole town is outside of Peter's house. And we don't know how many people that is. It might have been a small town, so maybe just a few hundred. But still, a few hundred people are surrounding the house, and in the front are all the sick and demon-possessed people, right? (laughs) Kind of scary. Um, And and in that culture, that just meant anyone who had any issue or any problem, anyone who was physically sick, anyone who had any mental uh, problems, anyone who had anything going on. and, And sometimes they would sort of talk about that in physical sickness terms. Sometimes in that culture, they would talk about that in demon possession terms. But that meant anyone who had any issues, and they were all there in the front waiting for Jesus to help them out. And it says that Jesus healed many of their diseases. And that's important because that means he probably didn't heal all of them. The word specifically is not all. It's many. It means he healed a lot. He was able to get to a lot of people. He was able to help a lot of the people. He was able to heal many of the people, but probably not everyone. And you can only imagine, as it's getting late that night, Peter's saying, hey, we need to wrap things up. Everybody's getting tired here, right? And everybody's probably saying, hey, hey, you're going to be at the synagogue tomorrow, right, Jesus? I mean, you're still going to be here tomorrow, right? I mean, if we come back by the house in the morning, you're still going to be there because there's more people that need to get healed. We need to hear more. We want to hear more about all the stuff that you're, you're talking about. We can come back tomorrow if we need to. And And we don't know if that's exactly how the night ends, but apparently not everyone is healed. And here's what Mark says next. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and he left the house. And he went off to a solitary place. That word usually means the desert or the wilderness or somewhere outside of town, out in the country, where he prayed And Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Everyone is 
looking for you. Everyone. In, in other words, there's more people to teach. There's more people to heal. There's more people to rescue. There's more people whose, whose lives and whose bodies are still broken and they need your help. There's more people who need to hear what you were saying about God yesterday. There's more, more people who need you, Jesus. And the implication is, so what in the world are you doing out here in the desert, right? Why did you get up early and leave us? I mean, it's 11 a.m. What have you been doing here? Everyone is wondering where you are. Do you know how much more we have to do? Do you know how many more people we need to help? And apparently, Jesus did know, right? Apparently, Jesus did understand. Apparently, Jesus realized there was a lot to do, and there were a lot of people still to teach. There were a lot of people still to help. And probably getting a good night's sleep and getting up early in the morning and starting to help people would have felt like the most important thing he could have done. But instead, he got up early and he left. And he went away to be by himself. And he took all of those needs and all of those people and all of those demands on his time, and all of those expectations, and he just set them aside. He let go of them to go spend time with his father alone. And in fact, look at Jesus says, when they say, hey, everybody's looking for you, look at how Jesus responds. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. I know there's more to do in this town. I know I didn't get to everyone. I know there's more needs to be met. I know, in fact, that if we leave now, there's going to be some people who are disappointed. There's going to be some people who don't get healed. They're probably going to think I don't care about them. In fact, they might even resent me for disappearing this morning and not being available for them. And the truth is, I could stay and we could spend more time healing more people here, but let's not stay. Let's move on. Now, <clears throat> I want to read you another account. And this is from the book of Luke, and it probably takes place just a few weeks after this episode. As Jesus begins to move from village to village around the lake, teaching and healing people, Luke tells us this. This is from Luke chapter 5. He says, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. That's a skin disease. And when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face on the ground and he begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And so Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. So Jesus does another healing, right? And this starts to become commonplace. Whenever people came to Jesus with needs and they seemed genuine and they truly believed that Jesus could do something about that and they asked him to, Jesus always responded with kindness and mercy and he always healed people. And now sometimes Jesus would say, hey, I don't want you to go tell anyone what I did. 
And people still went and told everyone that they did, right? Because it was amazing. Like, I got healed. How can you not go tell someone? But oftentimes Jesus would say, hey, don't tell anyone what I did. And so Luke tells us right after the story, he says, yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Do you see the contrast in these two sentences? It's like the more and more that Jesus needs to do, the more and more people that keep coming to him, the more teaching and the more healing that is demanded of him, the more Jesus would go away from the crowds, would retreat, would withdraw to be by himself and pray. The more people demanding of his attention, the more Jesus went to be by himself. The more there was to do, the more opportunities that were available to him to help, the more that was being placed on his plate and on his shoulders, the more willing Jesus was to say, no, I'm not going to try to do it all. I'm not going to try to heal everyone. I'm not going to try to teach everyone. I'm not going to try to convince everyone to follow me. And if we pause for a second and think, Jesus probably could have, couldn't he? I mean, he could have healed everyone. I mean, he healed people just like that. I mean, there was one time a guy came to him and his son needed to be healed and his son was away and he said, hey, if you just say the word, Jesus, I trust you can heal him. And Jesus was like, done. And his son is healed. Like He didn't even need to touch him. I mean, if I was following Jesus and I saw he had that kind of power, I would say, hey, Jesus, I got a sweet plan for you. Let's just start walking by villages and you can just wave your hand and everyone in the village will be healed. And then we can go in the village and tell everyone that it was you. And that way you can get so much more done, right? I have all kinds of effectiveness strategies for Jesus. If anyone could have chosen to do it all. If anyone had the power to do it all, it was Jesus. But he didn't, did he? There were a lot of people that Jesus never visited. There were a lot of towns he never got to. There were a lot of sick children that he never healed. There were a lot of mother-in-laws with fevers that never went down. There were a lot of synagogues he never taught in. There were a lot of needs he could have addressed, but he didn't. It's almost as if Jesus took the idea of saying yes to everyone and to all of the things that were placed in front of him and all of the things that he could have done, and he just set that aside. He just let go of it. And maybe it's because he knew if he tried to do it all, he wouldn't do any of it really well. I don't know. Maybe he knew if he tried to do it all, he would get sidetracked from his true purpose and his true mission. Maybe Jesus had a deep belief that there was a race that he was given to run. And trying to heal every single person and meet every single need would actually be a burden and a distraction from that race. I don't know. 
But it's clear from at least these two stories, and there's others like it. We'll read another one next week that's somewhat similar. It's clear that even though Jesus had the power to do it all, he never tried to. He chose not to. Which uh, begs the question for every single one of us, why do we all keep trying to do it all? Why are we so consumed with trying to do everything? Some of us try to meet everyone's expectations around us. Some of us try to solve everyone else's problems. Some of us try to meet everyone else's needs. Some of us pursue every single opportunity that comes across our plates. Some of us never say no, right? Some of us fill our schedules so full that we don't even know what true rest looks like. Some of us have taken on so many hobbies, so many different projects that our minds never slow down. We're always thinking about the next thing. Some of us work so much, we're working the equivalent of two jobs. Some of us have so many irons in the fire, so many plates that are spinning, that it's like we're just running around trying to keep all of them going. Some of us have so many apps and so many devices and so many people that are always vying for our attention that we don't even know what being quiet and still looks like. You see, all of us at some level are probably trying to do it all in some areas of our lives. And we read the stories about Jesus sneaking away from all of these people, right, to be by himself for extended periods of time. And you probably think one of two things. First, you might think, well, that sounds really nice, but I can't do that. I wish I could. I wish I could just get up early or get away for a day or get away for a weekend, right? I just don't have the time to pull that off. To which Jesus would probably say, hey, in case you missed it, um, I was the savior of the world. Like, you might have a Messiah complex. I was the Messiah. (laughs) I was the Messiah. I had so much to do. And yet, the more there was to do, the more important it was for me to realize I had to say no to some things and get away from all of the needs that were pressing in on me. If I can do that, I think Jesus would say, I think you can too. If I needed that, I think you need it too. But for some reason, we're, we still think we can't do that. Or, or maybe even the idea of getting away for a morning or for a day or for a weekend scares us to death, right? We're scared because there's going to be plates that hit the ground. We're scared because we're going to have to let somebody down because we can't do this and this and this. We're scared of missing out, right? Think about all the great stuff that we'll miss out on if I just go sit in the mountains for a weekend. Like, what is that? We're scared to be alone by ourselves, I think, sometimes. I mean, if I took a day to be with God, what would I do? I mean, you pray, right? No, seriously, what would I actually do? Right? That's what we think. What would I do? Because our identities 
And our lives have become wrapped up in doing things all the time. In accomplishing things all the time. In how many needs we can meet. In how many expectations we can fill. In how busy we can stay. So we don't ever have to get bored. So we don't ever have to be alone with ourselves. And so we just keep saying yes and yes and yes to everything. Trying to do it all. And Jesus is looking at us saying, hey, you've got to slow down. You've got to stop trying to do it all. You've got to clear some, some space in your schedule. You've got to learn how to say no. Look, I had so many people I could have kept healing. There were more people to teach. There were more towns to visit. And it just seemed so imperative to do all of those things. But I had to say no and get away from time to time to rest. And so today, I want to challenge you to ask yourself a couple of questions. I've got two questions and then two suggestions for you. So here are the two questions. Where am I trying to do it all, and what do I have a hard time saying no to? I want you to ask these questions of yourself. If, you, if you're married, if you have a spouse, you should discuss these with your spouse. Ask them to answer them for you. Hey, where do you see me trying to do it all? Where do I have a hard time saying no? Is it with my schedule? Is it with all, is it with all the hobbies I have going on? Is it my workload? Is it my weekends? Is it my travel? Is it all the multitasking Is it the 10 things I'm always trying to do at once? Where am I trying to do it all? And what do I have a hard time saying no to? Here's the two suggestions I have for you. Number one, find an hour every day for your heart and mind to rest. Find an hour every day. It can be in the morning, it can be in the afternoon, it can be in the evening, but it's an hour where you're not doing any work where you're not serving or taking care of someone else, where you're not checking things off of your to-do list, where your mind and your heart are not still racing. It's probably an hour without any screens or any devices or any emails or any texts because those don't let your mind rest. It might be an hour by yourself. If you're an introvert, you probably need that. If you're an extrovert, you maybe need it more because you just need to fill your time all the time with other people and spending time with other people, and you need to take some time to be by yourself. Now, uh, technically, during this hour, you can be doing something you enjoy, right? You can go for a walk in the park. You can read a book. You can play ping pong with a friend, right? But it needs to be something restful, something where your heart, your emotions and your mind, your thoughts are resting. If the work you do during the day is a really physical job, it probably needs to be an hour where your body is resting as well. But we all need to find an hour in every day where we're truly resting because it's during that hour that we remind ourselves, I don't have to fill up every hour of the day. I can't do it all. I need to stop trying to do it all. So find an hour every day for your heart and mind to rest. Here's the second thing. Find a day every week for your heart and mind to rest. 
an entire day, 24 hours where you pursue rest and renewal, where you say no to work, right? Where you say no to trying to meet other people's needs, where you simply rest. And again, that rest might include going on a hike. It might include going to the park. It might include enjoying a meal with friends. But it probably doesn't mean a day full of activity, right? If you pack a day of rest full of activity and you're tired at the end of the day, it wasn't really a day of rest and renewal. Sunday, I think, is a great day for this. Because you come to church on Sundays and hopefully that's a time where you are centered. Hopefully that's a time where you find rest. Hopefully it's a time where you're reminded that you are not what you do or what you accomplish. And that God doesn't love you because of what you do or what you accomplish. You're his child. He just loves you because of who you are. We need a day like that every week to recalibrate to this reality that we can't do it all. And when we try, we destroy ourselves, right? Because we create stress and we create anxiety, and we create overwork and and over-busyness. And we're trying to do something that even Jesus didn't do. Which means, when we're trying to do it all, we're not following Jesus. When I'm trying to do it all in my life, I am not a follower of Jesus. (laughs) Because Jesus decided to let go of that. He set that aside. At the very beginning of the most important work that he was called to do, the race he set out to run, he let go of the need to try to do it all. And we need to do the same. So ask yourself today, where am I trying to do it all and what do I have a hard time saying no to? And I hope you'll try to embrace these two practices. This week, one hour a day of rest and one day a week. And if you do that, I believe you'll experience a whole new reality in your life. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> God, this is um, such a challenge, I think, for all of us, myself included, because um, we're people who just love to be active. We love to be doing stuff. We feel a sense of worth and accomplishment when we do. Um, And some of that is natural and some of that is good. Um, But God, if we're honest, for a lot of us, we try to do too much. And it's killing us. And it wasn't your way. And it's not the example you gave us. And so God, I I pray that, that you would give us the strength and the courage today and this week to really ask those tough questions of our lives, to examine the kind of race that we're running right now, and to do whatever it takes to pursue the kind of race you want us to run. Do whatever it takes to find the kind of rest and renewal that you want us to experience. I pray this in your name. Amen.